0: this is mackenzie hey this is owen don't forget to like our show and subscribe this podcast is brought to you by the love and kindness project foundation what is one thing that you could do to think speak or act kindly today go to loveandkindnessproject.org to learn more if you want to continue the conversation from the show check out our facebook page at facebook.com slash we are the adhd family or if you're on spotify Ask the poll question. The episode starts one minute, 24 seconds, or just hit your fast forward button once or twice. Did you know that the last residential school in Canada closed in 1996? To learn more, go to nctr.ca and challenge yourself to go beyond a land acknowledgement. Welcome to We Are the ADHD Family Podcast. This podcast is meant to chronicle our journey with ADHD, Autism, and other discoveries along the way. I reach out to advocates, experts, individuals, and other families that want to raise their voices and empower those on their journey. My name is Mark Smeets. I'm married to Siobhan, a parent of two wonderful kids, and all of us are ADHD. I want you to feel like you have power and hope. The other day, I asked Owen, Owen, do you know what the patriarchy is? And his response, Do I know what a pink turkey is? Good. Well, I'm not sure if it's the morning, if you're listening to this, or the afternoon, but welcome to another episode of We Are The ADHD Family. I am your awesome host, Mark Smeets, and we're now into our third episode about ADHD in the workplace. So I wanted to continue with more practical tips and try to make this another really practical tip-packed episode. And I apologize because the pop filter I have over the microphone just got a massive workout. But in the first episode I did, I went over things like, you know, what I... Ha- teaching myself to stop when I had too many ideas. That mindfulness that I had to create. But also how I, can, how I capitalized on those ideas and, and took advantage of that creative energy. There were also the uh, two fun little co- uh, phrases that I ended up coining, which was the uh, the 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 Angry Birds of Thought, <laughs> and the ADHD theme park of ideas. And uh, yeah, I you know I think I know for me I'm definitely the bluebird um, when it comes down to the amount of thoughts that I have. But I don't think my my bluebird brain splits into three birds. It's probably like five or six or just keeps going. So if you haven't listened to it, go give it a listen, and uh, then come back to this one. Or listen to this one first, and then go back to the other ones. There really is no order. It's all good. I want to start off with something that you're definitely not expecting me to say. Every tip that I use is me holding it together. It is how I mask, or rather maybe performance is how I mask. And that's a pretty honest admission that struck me when I was coming up with this. Because when there's something where I'm on a roll for and I'm going really well, I realize how exhausted I am by you know the end of the day and the toll that it takes on me. I'm hoping that any of these tips helps alleviate that for you so you can do more. But don't ignore the burnout, don't ignore the exhaustion, because I know I have, and I paid the price for it. Even with an activity like the sensory swim, and that was months of really, it is, it was hard work, because you are putting yourself out there, going out there, you're following the impulse, at least I was following the impulse of trying to accomplish a task, and you put yourself into this position of just not respecting the energy that you've spent. And it was funny because a friend of mine uh, said to me, you know, how she didn't understand how I have so much energy. How can I balance all these different personalities that I'm talking to? Um, and that's actually what realized, that's, our, that's that was that sort of re- self-realization of that performance is my version of masking. I am masking that I can fit into the neurotypical world or that A-type-driven personality and just go all out. And that isn't the case for me. It really honestly isn't. Respect your energy, respect where you're at, and you don't have to climb the mountain in one day. My advice to you is to make a checklist and say, you know, here are all the things that you want to do. And set a date and a time as to when you want to complete them by. When I was designing spreadsheets at my logistics job, I would have all these wonderful ideas and functions that would come up in my head and I would never know where to start. So I said, well, I'm going to work on this first and then put it by this date, this and then this date, this and then this date. And I did my best to stick to that and I just took my time with it. And it's perfectly okay to take your time. This is your time, your life. In my previous roles, I've spent 14 years in logistics, and somewhere around 2016, 2017, um, pretty sure it was 2017, I went into my first ever process improvement class. And I ended up in that class because it was my boss who said to me, you're really good at processes. And so I went back to my desk, I Googled process improvement, and the uh, process improvement course at BCIT, I think it was just called Lean something or other, um, came up in my Google search. That's how I ended up in that class because I was just, I randomly searched it because my boss at the time had made an offhand comment about something that I was good at, which felt like one of the rare compliments I ever got from him. And there's nothing more ADHD than ending up in a class that you have absolutely no idea about. And one of the Big things that Process Improvement talks about is making your work visible. That's why there are tools like Kanban boards or shadow boards. It's not meant to make you super efficient. It's meant to take that mental pressure off of you to know that this is what the standard is supposed to be. This is how work is supposed to go. And it sets clear expectations of what is expected of you. Or your team members, or your coworkers, or from management. So I began a process in my office of trying to make everything that I could visual. And it was a fun journey. And I'm really glad I did it. One thing that you'll find later on is I'm going to share a story. I think it's the next episode I have this queued up for, of how I took something that was really frustrating me and made it a visual. I don't even know what the word call it is. You know, uh, I'll call it uh, what they do in manufacturing, which is what I based it off of, but it's a U-shaped cell. And that's U as in the letter U. Essentially, all four sides or three sides that you have of your cubicle or your workspace, they're utilized with something work-related. And it all flows with how your day goes. Let me give you an example of what making something visual is supposed to look like. No pun intended. If you've heard of shadow boards where certain uh, tools or medical equipment or supplies go in a certain place and there's a little shadow cut out, that is visual management. Putting your tasks up on a board that you can see what needs to be done and it's visual, it's out of your head, it's in front of you and it's interactive. That's visual management. It's not a checklist of things to do. I mean, that could be part of it. But the idea is to foster cooperation within your department or within your group of coworkers, and everybody's working off something, you know, the same list. They all have the same goal. You're all rowing in the same direction, so to speak. So, in summary, if you can visualize and make something appear so that everyone can see it, that in itself is visual management. None of this is easy, this all takes practice. It has taken me years to get to this point and a lot of the thoughts and ideas that I'm going to have in the next bunch of episodes including this one took a long time for me to come up with and change my thinking. This is this was not overnight for me. It probably won't be overnight for you, but it was a journey that was absolutely worth taking. So don't freak out if you don't get it right, but practice 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 and remember that you can always change these ideas too. One thing that I used to have to do is go to a lot of meetings. And this is pre-covid, so you'd be in the office and you would have to sit around a desk, meet people that you've never met before, and of course talk about big long complicated things that you know are going to require discussions. So it didn't matter how many people were at the table. What I always did was on my notepad, I would draw a picture of the table. And depending on where somebody was sitting, I would put their name in that spot on the table. This way, while I'm looking at somebody or I'm writing a note somewhere else, I could always look back at that person's name. And if you have multiple people around the table, then it's easy to write them in order. Because if you just keep a list of who the people are, You may forget that the person across from you is Jerry. The person to your right is Bill. And the other person over there is Sharon. Well, having them in the order that you're looking at them around the table of that picture that you've drawn on your notepad, that is going to ease your working memory and your stress level and bring it down. Even better, you can take those names and if you're making a lot of notes or something like that and they make a good point you know what go under Sharon's name and, and write down a certain point that she made or do that for Jerry or whoever but it allows you to keep track of what those things are because i know that when i'm in a meeting and i am trying to remember the person but also remember what's being talked about and ha- and not have you know what, I hear a piece of discussion, and I'm going to have 10 ideas come out of that. Keeping that focus, that track, it's so helpful to be able to have a way to stage my notes in a way that, um, that works. And the best part is, here's the bonus, um, people are all going to think that you're taking massively detailed notes, but no, you're just trying to keep everybody's name straight. And the nice thing about Zoom is that this actually works in Zoom fairly well. It's great that you can add your names to what you're seeing on this screen and that's very good to be able to do, but you're also able to I think take more more effective notes because it's up there on the screen for you. It's right there and you just have to put that name down on that piece of paper. Maybe if you're in a meeting with a whole bunch of people, then yes, you know, write down those names on a separate sheet of paper, or better yet, because it's digital, uh, start Microsoft Word. That is my other my other tip. I almost always have Microsoft Word open or Notepad open, so I can write notes uh, as I'm going along and type them out. And then my gaze will stay right at the screen and right at the camera, so it looks like I'm looking at the camera, but I'm actually looking at Microsoft Word, writing down notes. I'm going to be cheeky just for a second. Just because it looks like you're super busy, do not feel the pressure to volunteer to be the note taker. You are not taking notes for everyone else. You should not be expected to be that secretary or note taker or whatever and, oh, look, you know, Bill over there is is taking notes and uh, we're going to ask him to... Compile everything and send it out. That isn't cool for any boss or manager to do. My heart goes out to you if that's something where you may feel like you're getting thrown into, but then have that conversation with whoever is organizing this and say, no, I'm not taking notes for everybody else. No one will be able to understand my notes anyways. But just be aware of this possibility. Here is the 20 second kindness break. When you have a good idea at work, or you have a flood of ideas, thank yourself. Don't focus on whether or not they get used. Focus on the fact that you came up with something that was unique, that came from you, and celebrate it. And if you have an excess of ideas, write them down and save them for later. Check out loveandkindnessproject.org and find other ways to carry out kind acts or start a kindness project of your own. And I just realized there is one thing that I want to impart before diving further into this. Don't do these things for the company. You're doing this for you. The methods that you come up with, the company, the customer, they are going to benefit as a result of you thinking through these things. And I think it's really important to draw a distinction between the work and effort that you have put in and what this company is paying you to do. I didn't get any help with setting any of this up. I was very alone. And as a result, I am very protective of the things that I know work. Because I wasn't promoted as a result. I didn't have any of that. I did these things because my quality of life was suffering. And not being aware of the disability makes it that much worse. I don't want to see you suffer. What's going to happen is that when you have these things down, you're going to find that the company begins to run smoother, and people will look at you as the reliable one. And that is a good feeling. It really is. I will add that you may have a supportive work environment. I did not. I don't think I've ever had a supportive work environment, to be quite honest. But do this for you. Do this for your sanity. Do this for your family because when you're on that drive home and you're not nearly as exhausted as you were before because you started doing all this all these improvements and you took that pressure off you that's why I'm doing this so I can help someone that was in my shoes let's get into the fabulous world of RSD or rejection sensitivity dysphoria since RSD and ADHD aren't talked about too much. Let's go over what RSD is. It's when you experience severe emotional pain because of a failure or feeling rejected. And it can be physical pain as well. Maybe the feelings that you're feeling, the stress that you're feeling has worked your way into its gut, into your gut rather, and it's given you a really upset stomach or you feel nauseous or, you know, you've got now all of a sudden you've got this headache that's come on. And worse yet, it feels like someone's just kind of, like, stabbed you thousands of times or chopped off a limb. Like, the rejection is real. I I hate it, personally. I can't stand it. Um, It's it's a really tough thing. I sometimes refer to it as the spiky ping-pong ball of death. And I don't want this confused with intrusive thoughts. That's a little bit different. That's not as spiky ping pong ball of death that is more a spiky ping pong ball that doesn't cause death <laughs> i can't believe i'm coming up with these examples but the difference with the between the intrusive thought and the rsd is the the rsd will make you feel some sort of pain some sort of magnification of of what the feeling is and i don't care it doesn't matter what you say about um Oh, you shouldn't feel this way. That's not what we meant. No, that's actually the problem, because that one little— imagine it like this: you ever see that cartoon where, or or the TV shows where they drop a a bit of blood in the water, and there's a bunch of piranhas that come swimming up to try to get the blood? That's RSD. You're not gonna stop those piranhas from going after you. You can't turn around and tell someone, "Hey, you know." Don't take it so hard. Oh, just don't. It's the worst thing you can do to want, to somebody like, somebody like me. But this brings me to my next point, and it's about the use of language and the language that we use on ourselves, the language that we use with others, and language that we expect others to use for us. And, quite honestly, that others use on others. Much of the language that is out there is this ableist, medically driven, deficit-based, you are broken, you need to be fixed, um, language. And that makes us feel like there's something wrong with us. There isn't. Can ADHD be a problem? Yeah, absolutely. Um, when we are undiagnosed and we are struggling and putting all this pressure and weight on ourselves, that's going to resonate really hard. So, recognizing those, Things, I think, are a really good first step to uh, changing what you're doing at work. Along with being aware of how the language is used, get good at flipping the words and characteristics uh, that are typically negative into a positive. So, for example, if somebody says you're distractible, no, you're curious. If somebody says you're impulsive, you're creative if you're restless and hyperactive, you're energetic. If you're off point, you make connections. If you're stubborn, no, you're actually persistent. If you're inconsistent, it might very well be flashes of brilliance. When you're in a meeting and with whoever it is, whether it's management, a customer, or what have you, pay attention to the language that gets used and find ways to flip that language and use it in a positive sense. One of the rationales I have behind this is because in my head and all the negative self-talk and the rejection sensitivity that I felt, this was my way of rewiring how I thought about things. And what people would say to me, and I realized that that didn't make me feel good, then I could stand up and say, no, that is not what the problem is, it's this that using that kind of positive language, it gives you a strength that you may not realize you had before. And I think what you'll find is that you're going to take this same mentality, and when you go home to your partner and your family, then you're going to be noticing the same thing with them. And when you do, find gentle ways to correct them as well. My hope is that they would see the language that's being used in that negative sense as well and they would make those adjustments also when you've come up across a problem at work ask yourself these questions number 1 what is the struggle what are you struggling with number 2 how did you realize what you were struggling with number 3 what are the consequences of that struggle number 4 what is it that you can do about it and number 5 what is it that your employer can do about it I've gone through enough struggles in my professional working life to know that a lot of the times, the problem that I thought I was trying to solve is not actually what I was solving. So because of our impulsivity, what I tend to found with me is that I was actually working on the wrong part of the problem. And that's why I like that first question is, what am I actually struggling with? What is the thing that I am trying to achieve? Once you're able to define that, you can get into things like, you know, how did you realize you were struggling? What was that thing that made you look at a problem in a different perspective? Now, as far as the consequences of the struggle, I mean, there's frustration. That one's a little bit more obvious, but I think it's important to take stock of what not solving this problem is going to do. In other words, or not going to do. In other words, if this problem really isn't a big deal, like if we're making a, a, a mountain out of molehill, um, to turn a phrase, then what if we just walk away? What if there actually isn't really a problem at all? If you realize that the the consequences of something are something that you see down the road, then why not go after that? This is one of our ADHD strengths, when you can turn it into one. It's that ability to make a connection for somebody that, or something, that they may see it as, how does this fit together? And quite honestly, if you were to remove ADHD out of this entire equation uh, of what we're talking about, how different is this than going with your gut? There is something that you're seeing, but... Maybe the time isn't right to to make that connection at the moment, or maybe you have made that connection, and you need to figure out how you're going to convince everybody else or your boss that something is important to go after. So never discredit your ideas. They're there. That's your gut telling you something else is up. Go after it. I want to bring the examples that I've given in this episode to light with something practical that I did. One of my favorite books is from an author, his name's Matthew May, and the book is called Winning the Brain Game, Fixing the Seven Fatal Flaws of Thinking. It's a short book, it's an easy book to read, and I didn't struggle with that book very much, actually. In his book, he goes over the seven ways that our brains typically, well, in a sense, they sabotage, how we sabotage ourselves. And we do this in ways like... Leaping to conclusions, fixation, uh, overthinking, satisfaction, downgrading the ideas, or not invent another one not invented here, or even self-centering. But the awesome thing is that he also gives solutions to these things. And it's a really powerful book. When I got this book, and I mentioned earlier that it wasn't a hard read. It wasn't a hard read, but, of course, trying to remember things and the ADHD brain of having to read things, you know, over a couple times is is a pain in the butt. So what I did was I made a... uh, So what I did is I made printouts of these seven solutions of what the problem was and how to solve and the different ways that you can solve them. And basically, I printed it out on... Think it was two sheets of paper. I laminated the paper and then I stuck them at my desk. So I could catch myself going, Oh, why am I stuck on this problem? I need a I, I looked at my I looked at the sheet and the notes from the book and I was like, oh, this is why I'm struggling with it. Oh, okay, that makes sense. And I wasn't just trying to solve a problem ultimately. I was also this also falls into the realm of visual management because I can see, uh, you know, I've got a problem in front of me that, you know, may involve me or any number of things, but I have now a way that I can look at what these problems are, what these solutions are, and how can I apply my current situation to one of these and fix it. What I always found funny is I had people coming up to me saying, well, how would you solve this? (laughs) And I'm like, well, you're overthinking this problem, and here's why. And then I would just, you know, lead them down uh, lead them down a the path and say, "You know, go get the book. It's a really good book." But in the case of this book, you know, I took the actionable items that i that I could, made them really straightforward for me, printed it out, laminated it, stuck it on the wall. That was it. I could refer to it anytime I wanted to. I wasn't relying on my brain to remember things. I had it right in front of me, and that took a lot of pressure off of me. So yes, visual management can be that simple. And it also allowed me to craft the language that I was using in my head, and instead of blaming myself, I would look to those solutions first, and I would start reading them. Where do I fit in here? I wasn't telling myself, oh my god, Mark, you totally screwed up, and now everything's falling apart. I had a method, I had a process that I could use to solve problems that came up that didn't involve belittling myself or somebody else for that matter. Let's wrap everything up. I've talked long enough and you've listened long enough. Bless you for listening. to me. We're going to leave the other two questions out of those five questions for the next episode because I think it's a much, much longer conversation for that. That's it for me. Have yourselves a good night, a good day, wherever you are in the world, and stay safe. Thank you for listening to our show. If you're hearing this message, you've reached the end of the episode, and for that, I want to say thank you. I hope you have enjoyed what you've heard and are walking away with newfound knowledge. We are the ADHD family. See you soon for a new episode. I have three things to ask of you number one if you have any comments questions or guest ideas please leave a comment on the facebook page number two please leave us a review on apple Podcasts or spotify it helps people find us and number three if you want to be a guest on the show or know someone who would make a great guest contact me through our facebook page this podcast is open to everyone you don't need to be an expert just passionate and want to see change the opinions expressed by the host and guest are not associated with any employer or organization unless otherwise stated. This podcast is open to everyone. You don't need to be an expert, just passionate and want to see change. The opinions expressed by the host and guest are not associated with any employer or organization unless otherwise stated.